Welcome to The Intersection. This new podcast series will focus on how the gospel interacts with our culture. Uh, We'll have a new episode for you every other Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe to get the latest episodes. I'm sitting here across the table again with my good friend, Dr. Jack Clem. It's good to be back with you. Uh, Really looking forward to looking at some different topics that we're facing uh, in the church right now and how uh, the story of the Bible, how the gospel can shape and inform and perhaps transform uh, the way we look at life today. Um, Dr. Clem, it's good to have you again. If you don't mind, uh, just introducing yourself again and then introducing what we have uh, for everybody today. Yeah, well, welcome to you as well, Ben, and thank you so much for doing all the legwork to get so much of this organized and the creativity, even with the name. We're venturing out with a new name for the podcast, The Intersection, where gospel meets our culture. And uh, we experimented a little bit last semester uh, or last um, year with uh, the drama of scripture as our center of focus and uh, this year we want to take that beyond the drama of scripture the book by Michael Goheen and explore just how the story approach to the study of God's word really does impact our understanding of the gospel so we both share uh, just a passion for the gospel and a real unique desire to understand how it actually works in the rhythm and the routine of our life seeing it uh, as something that's so meshed into life, so integrated, not segmented uh, in various routines of life, but just part of the rhythm and the routine. So as we were talking about that, I was sharing with you, if you'll recall, over uh, a Three Amigos lunch, we were talking about um, what this could look like, and I said, we need to talk to Scott Osborne, Dr. Scott Osborne, Dr. Pastor Scott Osborne. So... Uh, I told you a little bit about him. Scott was a student here at uh, Virginia Beach Theological Seminary back in the early 2000s, finished his MDiv in 2004, then his THM in 2011, and then his Doctorate of Ministry from Ligonier. Uh, What do they call it? Ligonier Seminary or Ligonier School of Theology or just Ligonier? It's, uh, I don't even remember the name of it right now. I'll come back to you in a minute. Okay. Well, anyway, it's Ligonier. Darcy Sproul's place. Yes. Yes. That's Ligonier, what we need to know. Yes. Ligonier Ministries in, in Orlando, Florida. So, mm-hmm. uh, and in that degree, Scott specifically pursued an, an understanding of story, mission of God as a hermeneutic. And so I thought it would really be great for us to meet with, with Scott, have him talk to us about how that all works and uh, help us, inform us, teach us, grow us in this uh, understanding. So as we work out our podcast, we can uh, do it a little bit more accurately and a little bit more informed. So anyway, so we have Scott here today, Scott Osborne, Dr. Pastor Scott Osborne. So Scott, welcome. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. And uh, you can call me anything, just not Dr. Oz, okay? <laughs> that's, that's all I ask. All right, that's good. I wasn't even thinking in that direction. But all right, I, well, most people are. That's yeah. why. Yeah. Yes. yeah, that's right. Yes. It's going to be hard to um, resist I just talked with someone in my church this week who didn't even know I had my doctorate, and I said, that's the best thing I could do. Yeah. Right. Not call me doctor. Yeah. Well, right now, you are pastoring a Redemption Church in Chesapeake. Right? Yes, yeah. Right and um, and so you've been there for probably, what? 15 years. 15 years, wow. Mm-hmm. I remember the conversation just opening up that idea with you. Is... Yeah, I blame you. <laughs> That's right. You know, God's good. taught me a lot in 15 years. I'm thankful to be a part of his church. Yeah, and uh, 
You've uh, gone through some deep waters uh, in those 15 years and in the years that I've known you as a student uh, with the passing of your sister as well as the passing of your wife and now raising your children. And um, it's just great to see how God is keeping you buoyant and uh, how the gospel is at work in your life. So, so all of those things just endear me to you and I'm just really looking forward to what we can talk about today. Yeah. Uh, we had some good times in and out of the classroom uh, and we, we laughed, we cried, and um, we, we did some good um, growing together during those days. Yeah. So let's get after it. Yeah. Um, Scott, why don't you just tell us, is there anything else you want to add to um, you know, maybe some of those uh, points in your journey along the way that would be helpful in just setting up this whole conversation about story, mission of God, missional hermeneutic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything at all? Yeah, I think just real quick, I would say like when I was here at seminary, the last thing I wanted to be was a pastor because I just didn't want to wear a suit, do marriage counseling, and run a wana. <laughs> and um, what God did in bringing me to where I'm at today is make me really study what the church is mm. and really enlivened my heart with the beauty of the church Mm. that it's far more than what i just mentioned that it's something beautiful something amazing and i'm sure i was taught all of it in seminary but i just kind of was like whatever in a sense Mm -hmm. and but actually being put in the place of a pastor of a church made me start thinking well what is church why should i be part of church Mm -hmm. and what should a church do Mm -hmm. and um me being the inquisitive type never really take anyone's word for I have to do all my own research in a sense and put everything together and God kindly made me fall in love with the church Mm. and I think primarily through the gospel and through the story of God Mm. and so for me as a pastor these these ideas of the story of God are really endearing to me like really special, really shape me, really frame um, mm. the life and ministry of Redemption Church. Yeah. Well, it's really sweet to hear you say all of that, and especially with the kind of affection you say that, specifically when I think about, you know, when you first came to Bible Believers Church, and it was a work yes. that needed to have some work. Yeah. And you, um, you and a group of others who rallied around you, other students and couples and families, mm-hmm. um, just persevered through a lot of stuff mm-hmm. in order to get it to where it is today. So um, it, it is a wonderful story of God's work, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about yeah. all of that here today. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we want to do is we want to like take what Ben and I were working with in the drama of Scripture. Ben was working with it in one of the ABS classes uh, at the church, And so this was kind of like the second time through, maybe third time for Ben. But uh, we wanted to just like take that whole concept of just the story of God and and just like parse it out, play with it, Mm -hmm. and just see how it can be applied to just just about every rhythm and routine of life. Mm -hmm. So um, we were doing a couple of podcasts last year, just summarizing the story of God, drama of scripture. And we had one that we were gonna wrap up. That was the, the last episode, really kind of like Jesus wins in the end. <laughs> so 
So what do you remember of that, uh, Ben? About the last uh, part of the, the yeah. story? <clears throat> well, I think uh, it's interesting to look at Revelation because there's so many different things that people say about it and so many different charts and graphs and timelines and dates and, uh, you know, weird horned animals and creatures and things going on. And uh, I think really looking at how the book of Revelation finishes out the story is really helpful where, uh, you know, it's a fitting end in that um, there's no loose ends. Like we all love the good ending of a story where uh, good wins, evil is put down finally, uh, and everyone lives happily ever after. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, that's our story in Christ where uh, death is crushed, uh, sin is crushed, there's no more suffering, there's no more tears, there's no more pain. God comes back and, and does ultimately what he's been on on redemptive history, moving redemption towards, which is mm-hmm. uh, God's dwelling place is made one with man's, and he dwells among us, and we live uh, as fully human as we were designed to be. Um, so I think we, you know, we look at the book of revelation. Those are some helpful pieces. I know you had had some thoughts as we worked through. Yeah. Well, you know, just, I think what captured the both of us, or at least I know how I was being captured with it all was just to see the cohesiveness of the story, you know, that from creation, you know, or sometimes scholars refer to it as protology to eschatology. It's one cohesive story and all of the individual episodes along the way are moving towards that grand culmination of uh, you know our life fully realized in Christ, and um, so let's go back to that. Let's okay now that we have Scott with us, let's go back to uh, the beginning. And maybe Scott, maybe you can help us. We uh, were reading, as I mentioned, drama of scripture. We were aware of a couple of other works that Goheen had written. Uh, becoming more aware of who was influencing him, Leslie Newbegin, Christopher Wright, and so forth. And um, one of the other works that I think you'd mentioned to us was Light to the Nations, and I start reading that. That's been great. Christopher Wright's book, Mission of God. So help us kind of get maybe a couple of definitions and then take us into a passage or two of Scripture that will help us better understand uh, the whole story of God, mission of God, and hermeneutic that is related. So how would you define God's mission? Let's start there. How would you define, what is God on mission to do, or what is God's purpose? Right, yeah. <clears throat> so I think, as you have mentioned, it's just I think it's great, it's awesome, like the end of the story determines the mission. Hmm. So wherever God has revealed and recorded for us that he is moving all of human history towards, has to, in my mind, be the mission. Mm. And Revelation 21.3, I think, is the climactic verse of the entire Bible that says, look, the dwelling place of God is now with man. Mm. And so I think the mission of God is for God to dwell with his people so that his people can actually participate in his life. Mm. They can experience his love, his light, and his life. And so I think that's what the mission of God is. It is to create a world where he can actually dwell with his people and his people can actually dwell with him, mm-hmm. which will produce a life that will never end, be full of joy, full of peace. I mean, I just tell my people all the time, like, it's so hard to comprehend what the new creation is going to be because we're so entrenched in what this world is. 
-hmm. And yet the only thing we want is that world, Mm -hmm. a world where we're not struggling every day with how do people view me? Am I dressed good enough? Am I going to be good enough at my job? Are my kids going to love me? Are my spouse going to love me? Like all these questions that just constantly paralyze us will be gone. Mm -hmm. And so for me, God's mission is just simply a world where he can actually come and fully dwell with his people so that we can actually share in his life. Okay, so, so we're, we're being brought into that story yeah. in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we are, um, you know, in a sense, as I said, brought into the story on mission with God then to bring others into the story so they can enjoy the same culminating redemptive purpose in Revelation 21.3? Yeah, so I think like that's what the promise of the Spirit being a down payment is. Mm. It's like we today can get a foretaste. We can get like stupid analogy, but like go to the mall and get a food court and get a little piece of chicken from the Chinese place, Mm -hmm. and it gives you a little taste of what the meal will be. Mm -hmm. And the Spirit, as Christians, not that we always live in that experiential side of like the joy and the happiness but there is like that moment that transcendence of the ability to experience the spirit of god today mm-hmm. that one day will be fully permanent mm-hmm. unending sort of an already not yet yeah like we have mm-hmm. a, an already kind of a taste yeah. of what it means to be in that presence of god or to enjoy that Depth of relationship Correct. With, the, with the Lord God. And with others. And with others, okay. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I think God didn't just, I mean, you don't think this either, but I just think it's important to remember that God didn't yeah. make us just to be in relationship with Him. Right. But in the fullness of our relationship with Him, then we can reciprocate that relationship to others. Right. No, I'm glad you brought it out, or at least um, drew attention to the fact that it's a love God, love one another, great commands, kind of an emphasis. Yeah, in the sense of like, I would say you can't love God without loving one another. Right, so like a so, John's, John's theology sort of fleshed out correct. in the mission of God. Yeah, you can't like say I love God today, but I didn't love my neighbor. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. like a contradiction. Mm-hmm. What it means to love God is to love your neighbor. Well, this kind of upsets the paradigm for missions, don't you think? <laughs> I'll let you say that. <laughs> let you be the one to to judge that. Yeah. But I do think there's often the, uh, even with sin, the lack of um, horizontal dimension. Right. That sin doesn't just disrupt my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Sin disrupts all this like sin has social dimensions right right that every sin i commit is an offense towards some other human right even your sins in private become public not even if they don't know them but in the way you treat other people Mm -hmm. you know and so like the reason that sin is so heinous i think is not just because it's a violation of god's commands Mm -hmm. like with just him but it disrupts all of the harmony that God wants for humanity to experience. Mm-hmm. And we see that all the way back in the beginning of the story right. with Adam and Eve. They they don't physically die but uh, right away, but you see that shame, uh, that self-consciousness. Uh, Adam and Eve's relationship is immediately disrupted through their sin and has massive effects in their relationship 
uh, moving forward, they, they experience all of those emotions that um, are foreign to, you know, to what it looks like to be rightly human. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess my point with regard to upsetting or overturning the paradigm is when we think about mission, whenever we use that word mission and we attach whatever prepositional phrase we want to it, um, we, I think, are predisposed to think of we're, we're just going out proclaiming. We're, hmm. you know, we're, yeah. we're punching into different geographic regions to, uh, you know, take the word into mm-hmm. those places. And there perhaps is a lack of sort of, you know, seeing the whole package of right. my, my love for one another, my love for God, the way that I live out the gospel and represent it, just as you were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, we can, we can live one way and, um, you know, be proclaiming another way and the two don't match up together. And there's, you know, a misplaced priority on just proclaiming. Yeah, and I don't think any one of us would deny the importance of proclamation, but it needs, I think what we all are wanting to see is how proclamation fits into a context right. of story mm-hmm. and life existence and so on. Yeah. So we had, okay, so you had mentioned that you have two passages that you want to talk to us about, and the Ephesians 4 and the Philippians 2. You want to take us into those? I'm sure there's yeah. a lot that you can share there with us. Yeah, so I'm actually going to start with Philippians 2, 12 and 13, because I think that kind of uh, sets the stage for some conversations that we can all have as the church, not necessarily just on this podcast. Um, and, you know, like I always say, you don't have to agree with me. This is just something for you to think about and talk about and see if this is what God has for you too. But I think like when we talk about um, mission and God's story, I think another piece to this puzzle is interpreting and having a hermeneutic being shaped by God's mission as well. Hmm. So uh, for me, I definitely believe that part of our hermeneutic should be that historical grammatical hermeneutic in the sense that we take into account history, we take into account grammar and context and all of that, like that's super important. And then another layer of our hermeneutic is Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, he says in Luke 24, all scripture is all about me. And so to interpret scripture without Jesus is really damaging. Mm-hmm. It's incomplete. Incomplete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I want to say about that is like, it's not just about interpreting in light of who Jesus is, but what Jesus came to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that missional hermeneutic comes into play for me that I think I find is oftentimes missing in our um, hermeneutic is we do interpret it grammatically, historically. We do then put Jesus into it. But what I think we miss often is the mission of Jesus, Mm -hmm. what he actually came to do. So when you say that, when we miss what Jesus came to do, we are missing... So we're, we're maybe um, emphasizing more who he is and maybe what he accomplished and not necessarily what he sets us on or br- how he brings us, for what purpose he brings us into the story? Correct. Okay. Yeah, and so maybe we could flesh out more like, um, and these are 
general statements? Sure. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like yeah. I don't want to pinpoint everyone. Um, but generally what I find is that when we interpret Christ, it's then in context of me and my relationship with God. Right. So that the ends is just I'm right with God. Mm-hmm. Justified. Justified. Mm-hmm. I get to go to heaven. Right. Uh, that's quotes. If you can't see it on the <laughs> podcast, my hands are doing the, the, yeah, the he's quotes. Pretty, he's pretty animated here. Folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, like we interpret a lot of our, our verses, I think, from that salvific standpoint. Right. Would you say a lot of that's uh, brought to us innately through our culture, our cultural experience of individualism, um, you know, kind of what, how do I relate personally with God? I need a personal relationship with God to the exclusion of uh, the community of God. Yeah. Uh, would you say that, you know, is kind of what it, what it means to almost be American, it's in our fabric? Uh, to naturally think that way. You see, that kind of explains some of it. Yeah, we didn't even get into this, but I mean, we all live by a story. And the American story, apart from any Christian spirit influence, is what is shaping us. You know, and that is the dominant story of our day, is the narcissistic, consumeristic, independent, mm-hmm. I'll do it myself, mm-hmm. um, can, you know, kind of story that we are, make sense of our lives through. Right, mm-hmm. right. So I think, you know, I think an example of that will be here in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says, as you've always obeyed, now do even more, and not only my presence, but my absence. And he says this phrase, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, you know, as Protestants, I think we often get scared of this verse. There's like working in salvation in the same sentence. <laughs> and uh, so then we thankfully say, well, thankful Paul said, work out, not work for. And then we go on to say, like, well, as Paul says, it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And, um, you know, so just generally again, this is just general, okay? Don't anyone get mad at me and be like, <laughs> I don't believe that. But I'm saying, like, generally I think we could all agree that almost all the sermons I've ever heard on life on these verses are basically... Make sure you're a Christian. Make sure you're working out like you see the Spirit of God in your life and make sure that you're doing the right things and not that those make you a Christian, but they just kind of prove that you're a Christian. And then it's God who works in you and they're basically saying things to the, to the effect of you work as hard as you can, but at the end of the day you know God's it's the word. Spirit who is doing it in you. Yeah. And so what I want to say is like yes and yes and yes and amen. Uh, but as we, as I'd like to say, right doctrine, wrong text. Mm. I don't think that's necessarily what Paul is saying. And I think, again, going back to what you just said, like we interpret Scripture out of some type of story mm-hmm. that we think the Bible is about. And if the Bible is about me getting to heaven, maybe that's what Paul is talking about. But if it's something different, maybe we should interpret it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so we can do the grammatical, the historical, put Jesus into the puzzle here and say, you know what, he saved me. And that sounded mean, like, or even almost like um, pejorative. I don't mm-hmm. mean it pejoratively. But I would like to say that if you put the mission of God into the hermeneutic here, you might come out with a statement that says this. My dear friends, if you always obeyed, not only my presence, but more in my absence, 
work out what it means to be God's saved people. Mm-hmm. And so Paul is saying, when I was with you, I was showing you how to be the church. Right. I was showing you what it meant to be a Christian. Salvation isn't just this vertical relationship. It actually has a horizontal dimension. So that salvation has like relationship of how I live my life, that I am God's saved person. And what I love about the Christian faith, and this is a whole nother podcast, but what I love about it is like Paul laid a foundation for every church that was the same. Mm-hmm. But then he said, that's not what the sum total of what it means to be the church. Mm-hmm. I'm not with you anymore. And you need to obey me working out your salvation, working out what it means to be God to save people even more now that I'm gone. Because I'm not there directing you. Mm-hmm. Which has lots of implications. One, it's a, uh, you got to like think. And as I was telling someone the other day, like, Interestingly, the American church would send missionaries overseas and tell them to do all this work, but we don't have to do it. Right, right. Now that's why there again is our paradigm being yeah, turned exactly. upside. Yeah, exactly. Because I think we wouldn't say it, but we believe it, that the kingdom of God came in 1776. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. that. all of a sudden the kingdom of God came to America, and now we're the ones spreading the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. As opposed to seeing that we are the ends of the earth, mm-hmm. we are a mission field, and we're called to do the same type of work that we ask foreign missionaries to do. Mm-hmm. And so Paul is saying, work out what it means to be God's saved people. Mm-hmm. I grew up in New York, and what it means to be God's saved people in New York looks different right. than it does with all y'all people down here. <laughs> That's okay? <right>. Like... <laughs> It's just, are there foundational, fundamental things that stay the same? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But does how the context and the structures and um, the way you present the gospel, all those things potentially change? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where like the missional hermeneutic can come on this passage. And every church should begin asking themselves, how do we act as God's saved people Mm -hmm. in the present context in which God has set us, looking at the cultural idols and asking how does the gospel speak into the idols of the particular city that we live in. Right. Does that make sense? And it so does. Now, oh, yeah, it so does. So all of a sudden, it's not this, uh, let me just say this, this text should not necessarily be interpreted individually right, right. and soteriologically, but actually should be interpreted communally and missiologically. Hmm. So that we should not just read this verse and be like, oh, am I a Christian? But we should read this verse with the people of God and be asking the question, how do we faithfully embody God's mission in this particular context? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think to just support what you're saying, I mean, the obvious thing in the text is that the imperative, I mean, we often think of this passage in the typical spiritual life formation approach as you know the indicative and the imperative it's a classic example so uh, but the imperative to work out your salvation is second person plural mm-hmm. so and what um, fascinates me which is, for non-grammarians is you all you all <laughs> well from our it's you guys you guys yeah down you here, all it's, it's that's down right here, it's thank you all. thank yeah. you mm-hmm. but uh, the point being that it's not focused on just us individually 
but us corporately. I've just been so impressed in recent months with the awareness that these commands are plural. It seems so obvious, but often overlooked when we come to the interpretation. Mm-hmm. We sort of like forget the grammatical part of our analysis, and we just then default to our individual approach. Elsewhere in the epistle, Paul exhorts the church to live worthy of the gospel, you know, so be a worthy representative of the gospel as you are bound together in this community to, to um, image my presence and to invite others into relationship with me. So I, I think what is, again, um, compelling for me is the, um, just the whole revolution of thinking that I'm not sending and resourcing missionaries. That's not what I do. I don't, I don't go to work. I don't earn my money to send and resource others. That I am the sent one. Mm-hmm. I am on mission with God. And if I am on mission with God, and if I am brought into the story, then I better understand what my role is right. and what my identity is within the story. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, I think, a little bit intimidating, but I think it really does reframe life for us oh, yeah. in a totally different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I use the analogy with our people, I just used this past weekend again, that how can the church actually participate in God's story if they don't know God's story? And I often tell people all the time, like, the reason I know we don't know God's story is because I just ask one basic question for you, where are the streets of gold? And everyone I've ever asked in my entire life has said in heaven. And I'm just like, well, if you read Revelation 21, 22, it's actually not in heaven. It's on an earth. Mm-hmm. It's on a new earth, a renewed earth, however you want to, we, another podcast. Yes. But I mean, like, the idea, again, is like, we don't even know how our story ends. We don't know the beginning of our story other than Darwin is an idiot and evolution is wrong. We don't know why God made the world and what's the purpose of the world and what the initial beginnings of the world were. And so all these questions are like, how can you actually participate in God's story, if you don't even know what God's story is. Right. And having, you know, this is like a little bit of a wordy statement, but it's not so much that the church has a mission, but that the mission of God has a church. Right. And so if you don't understand what God's mission is and what the role of the church is in that mission, the church, this is where we get off in a lot of weird places in the church, does all these weird things in the name of Jesus. Why? Right. Because I think a lot of it is just because good-hearted people who I think are Christians are just misguided by the sense of a lack of understanding of God's story. And so the analogy I use, I'm a Lord of the Rings freak, like freak freak. (laughs) And like, um, if you're not familiar, it's got three books. The middle book is The Two Towers. And what we do as Christians is we pull up the middle book, The Two Towers, and we study it, and we know it, and we can diagram it, and we can, you know, know the Greek and Hebrew of J.R. Tolkien. We can speak his language, you know. But if you don't know the beginning book, Fellowship of the Ring, and you don't know the last book, The Return of the King, the middle book makes absolutely no sense. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like, you think you know it all. Right, right, yeah. You think you've studied it all. But until you actually can put that book, The Two Towers, mm-hmm. in the context of the whole story, 
does all of a sudden Frodo have a ring make any sense? Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. No, I th- well, you referenced, I think it's Chris Wright's statement on yeah. mm-hmm. the, uh, it's not so much that the church has a mission, but that God has a church for the mission. Right. I, like, and I agree, it's a little bit wordy mm-hmm. and um, it is a little bit abstract. But if you stop and think about it, what it does is it forces you to, number one, define, well, what is God's mission? Right. And then to realize that God's been on mission since creation. This mission has a direction. It also is going to be culminating in Revelation, as we talked about earlier. And, um, um, you know, so that really just does draw us right into the whole idea that we have a comprehensive. Uh, picture of what God is doing and then how we are drawn into that story to participate in it. And that really does change your perspective and your interaction, uh, your perspective in life and your interaction within the community. Yeah, well, those are some great thoughts. Um, we're out of time for today. We will have a part two of this discussion because we have some more things about what does it look like to actually live that out in a local church? What are some things that uh, Scott's found helpful as he's Uh, tried to lead people into living out the story every day. Um, So thank you so much for joining us, Scott. Thanks, uh, Dr. Clem, as always. Um, And we'll see you next time uh, for another episode of The Intersection. 